Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. And we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And they'll provide you with the guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My guest today is Mr. Sam Christensen. I want to welcome all the people who are listening live or archived. If you're listening live, the chat room is open, and you can join us there. If you're listening archived, uh, next time, join us live, and you can be in the chat room, too. Sam Christensen uh, began as a casting director. He's uh, currently an image consultant and a guru of branding. He's uh, a valuable mentor to filmmakers, screenwriters, actors, directors, politicians, on-camera talent, off-camera talent, you name it. Uh, Sam has done it, and uh, he's here with us again on Rex Sykes Movie Beat to share uh, his knowledge and know-how and his expertise and to discuss important topics that you're going to want to have to move your career forward. So uh, he'll be with us in just a moment. He's online waiting to jump on, so uh, so stay with us. Uh, what I'd like you to do right now is go ahead, if you're listening live or archived, go ahead and invite other people to join in in listening. Uh, tweet them, uh, phone them. Facebook, and use your favorite social means and share the word that, uh, hey, there's this uh, important discussion going on on Rex Sykes Movie Beat. Uh, really appreciate it. Whenever you share these interviews, whenever you rate and review the podcast at iTunes, because they're all available at iTunes, and whenever you leave comments at the player, there's a comment window at the uh, audio player for these podcasts at Blog Talk. When you leave comments right there, it helps ex- it helps increase our visibility and makes the show available to other people to discover who might otherwise not. And so share this with all your friends and all your colleagues in the motion picture business or television industry and entertainment world and uh, and uh, and help us reach other people so they can benefit from the from the golden nuggets that my guests like Sam share. So uh, I appreciate it when you do that. The official URL for uh, the uh, show, Rex Sykes Movie Beat, is my name. It's Rex Sykes. I'm your host. It's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. You can listen live from the website right there in the interviews blog, or you can go back and listen to over 400 hours of professional filmmakers uh, and uh, entertainment people sharing uh, their knowledge and know-how with you. So, So go check out the archives as well. Without any further hesitation, I'd like to bring Sam on. And as I do, I just want you to know that Sam and I have done five previous discussions on Rex Sykes Movie Beat on the topic uh, for actors, writers, filmmakers, uh, on image and many other things. We're continuing that discussion now, so stay with us and uh, feel free to go back and listen to the other discussions whenever you can, 24-7. All right, so hi, how you doing, Sam? I'm doing well, Rex, thanks. Well, it's good to have you back on the air. It's good to have you back on the show. I've been uh, waiting for some time for you to, for your return. I know you're busy, and uh, I know listeners have as well. 
So uh, can you, anything you want to say in just terms of catching us up? Well, uh, first, uh, you and I had a chance to meet in person uh, out here on your recent trip, and that was uh, fun to have a little lunch and a little in-person time. And uh, and the other thing is uh, I just generally want to say I'm feeling pretty uh, positive and excited about the direction of the business in general, um, the sort of excitement on, on television, a lot of new interesting things going on there. And, um, yeah, I'm just generally positive about uh, show business in general. Well, uh, that's that's awesome to hear. I mean, when, when people are excited about uh, what's happening in show business, uh, um, that's good news. And also, yeah, no, I was thrilled to be able to see you again after all these years. It's been a long time since you and I were <laughs> in each other's physical presence, and to be able to have some lunch for uh, a li- at least a little while was was, an, was a, a wonderful thing, and I'm, I'm happy that we were able to do that. Me too. Cool. So, um, okay, can you can you can you before we start in on anything else, can you can you sh- tell me why or tell our listeners why? Um, you're enthusiastic about the nature of the business now. What do you think? What do you think is happening or transpiring? Well, I think um, a couple of things. Um, one thing in the feature film business, you know, while there continues to be the kind of blockbuster mentality, I think that will always be important. Um, there's a, just a solid flow of. Um, uh, pictures that are a little bit more uh, story-based and, and uh, human interaction dependent, um, and that uh, um, I think is is great. Uh, it, it feels like there's a little bit more of a balance for a lot of a lot of years in in movies in Hollywood. The emphasis was so much on the giant star and the big effects blockbusters. Uh, which uh, obviously have their place in, in the industry and are the are a solid date night movie. Um, you know other uh, other kinds of things that have uh, come along uh, and seem to get a lot of awards recognition and all of that. Um, Silver Linings Playbook, for example, those kind of uh, movies that are that are smaller and also do box office and well attended and feature um, um, human stories, those, uh, it's exciting to see that kind of stuff sort of get a, a stronger uh, foothold back in the industry. And then television, too, I, I just, it, it feels like now with the all the various um, venues that are available for different kinds of television, I've been watching uh, that new show, uh, Rectify, and although it's only three episodes in, um, and I, you know, it's hard to tell whether it's going to be a great show or not. It's certainly uh, uh, an intriguing and, and challenging show, and uh, with uh, exciting uh, performances by wonderful actors, none of whom are world famous, but all of whom ought to be. And um, uh, it's it's just it, that ex- that excites me. That kind of television that that uh, that dives into the most human kinds of stories and that some of them can be pretty uh, um, non-major network, I guess, is, the, is the, the thing that I enjoy. So much of network television has turned into the, the reality contest, the singing contest, all of that, the dancing contest. 
And while there's clearly a place for that too, it's great that story-themed shows are also there and, and finding uh, that they can be as edgy as any feature film. Oh, that's 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 very um, good news, and and I agree. I think television has grown up, and is probably uh, as never before a hotbed of good storytelling, and I would say even more so than most movies today. However, I was thrilled with the recent offerings and Academy Award selections. I, I you know, um, in that this was the first year in a long time that I went. You know what? I actually like. Almost all the films that that have been selected, and I and I, and while there may be some that get snubbed or missed, uh, I was I was I was not disappointed with uh, the awards, you know, the nominations. Let's say. Yeah, you know, they never can can cover the ground, even though you know they've expanded that best picture category by several movies, and and you know the acting categories, the design and direction, screenwriting categories you know, are limited in the number that they can nominate, it, it's, it still is good news when they're nominating, uh, even with that limitation, uh, all worthy things. You know, when I go, some are movies I love and some I don't like as much, but it's, it's rare now that among the nominations there's something that I think is completely undeserving of recognition. And that's exciting uh, when, when the industry is turning out and recognizing uh, things that uh, that deserve it and are advance uh, storytelling and advance the the art form. That's a that's a, a great thing. Oh, very very cool. I want to mention before we go any further that your website is samchristensen.com, and it is s a m c h r i s t e n s e n dot com, and so people can check you out there. And I encourage people who if this Here's is the exciting news about that we are finally doing a refurb of the website which has been a long time in the in the you know I I was when when I first created the website many many years ago I was sort of uh one of the first just simply because I had a a web designer an early web designer among my student base and he said you have to do this you have to have a website back when you know very few people in my business had them and that was exciting but of course then resting on my laurels of uh, being one of the first, that website went way out of date, and I ended up sitting on an antique. So in the last uh, year, we've been redeveloping and refurbing, and we'll be launching a, a new version of our website in the next 30 days. And it's been like giving birth to quadruplets. It's, uh, <laughs> not that I know much about that, but uh, it looks tough giving birth to quadruplets and making this uh, this website work with all the new uh, technologies and interfaces and all that was challenging to my old mind, but it was fun, and I think the results are going to be good. So uh, there will be some new stuff for people to look at soon. Oh, that's fantastic. That's, that's, that's great news. So I encourage people to visit there, and I also encourage them, if they haven't yet, to go back to you know uh, our previous discussions at my website and read your, your biography and uh, and and but of course visit samchristensen.com. Well, uh, very very cool, Sam. Um, again, I'm glad you're here. We've talked about many different things in terms for actors and writers and filmmakers in terms of uh, advancing their career. Um, but you're also writing a book. Why don't we Why don't we discuss uh, first um, 
the book that you're writing and and maybe some of the upward downside of being an author? Well, yeah, I, I mean, for me, uh, I can't. I think there are some people for whom the the writing really flows. For me, that's a little bit tougher. I'm I'm so used to uh, as a teacher, um, my mind uh, working and and snapping to new associations uh, live and in front of people. That um, actually sitting down and writing for me is is a bit of a challenge, uh, but. It's uh, it's been exciting. I really enjoy the process. I find that I have to exercise some real discipline to set aside a few hours uh, each day to to do it and to create the kind of continuity that is necessary. But um, it, it has been a process of uh, of redefinition. When I began uh, the book, it was really going to be about sort of a, a published duplication of what I do in the classroom. And as uh, it has developed, that has sort of become an appendix to what the book is now really about, which is uh, this miracle of individual identity that we each both uh, celebrate and suffer. You know, it, some days it's great to be ourselves, us, and other days we wish we were anybody but us, I, I guess. But uh -huh. um, the fact that nature somehow carves out a utterly unique signature for each person um, is is what I'm writing about. What inhibits identity? Um, why it's sometimes difficult to fully communicate it? Uh, why we um, rely very much on uh, sort of the facts of ourselves rather than the feelings of ourselves when we're expressing identity. You know, if I ask somebody uh, at a party about themselves, they'll usually tell me where they're from or what part of town they live in or what they do. Uh, they will rarely start talking about behavioral aspects and how they feel and react to things. And yet, when we get to know somebody, those facts fall away. It isn't so interesting where we live or what we do, but how we feel and how we react to the world is what you know engenders friendship and, and further relationship. And indeed, it's what we write and make films about. So kind of getting to the core of, of what makes each of us an individual and how to express that uh, more easily and especially faster, that is a a big concern that I've run across in the book because we all have so many opportunities to express who we are, but they're so short. You know, we live on Twitter or in emails or uh, in little YouTube clips or all of these various shorthand ways to express uh, something as complex as human identity. So that's another thing I'm writing about is how we shrink this sort of self-expression of identity into these little sound bites that technology has delivered to us. Do you do you, uh, do you think that people tend to give out the information? I mean, that it's all culturally, you know, we're we're predisposed. I guess suppose, depending on where you come from, you know, in terms of how we define ourselves or or how we view ourselves. So, for example, if I live in some rural part of a community and I'm part of a small clan, and somebody says, "Well, who are you?" That I I might say well I'm from the clan of so and so on the other side of the hill, you know, and and that that somehow is shorthand for everything that you should know about me. Or, yes, 
there are several factors. I think for a long time, um, that sort of thing, where we came from, what clan we were a part of, was a pretty important identifier. But I also think what happens is that it's a little bit safer. Um, when we tell people things that are sort of provable details or recognizable uh, increments, it is easier than taking the chance to express feeling, emotion, all of that stuff. And certainly in, in kind of uh, beginnings of social interaction, I think it's more comfortable to be a little safer uh, than to risk the kind of uh, approval, disapproval that comes from expressing deeper things. I think that is how it should be, actually. Uh, I think it ought to take a little time for us to feel comfortable enough to let people uh, more deeply into our identities. However, we have delivered a world where um, we don't give people as much time as um, we used to. I, you know, when I first started working with actors um, with, and directors, screenwriters with regard to public image, the average television segment uh, interview was um, seven minutes. Now the average interview that a, even a star gets is 3.5 minutes. So, you know, even movie stars in, in major venues are reduced to three or four minutes to talk about themselves, who they are, etc. And because of that, the sort of reliance on the safer details uh, means that a lot of people are saying the same uh, kind of locational things about themselves, and we feel like we're rarely getting a picture any deeper of of someone. It's why all of the you know the TMZ and the dirt gatherers have gained in popularity because everybody wants to see you know what someone's really like, and the time bites that we offer people don't uh, really allow them to do that. So that's part of what I'm writing about too is the way that we have. Um, kind of reduced the ability that we each have to be personal and how do we deal with that and how do we allow ourselves to be personal in these little tiny uh, spaces of time that we're allotted and uh, you know it's kind of the, the new challenge in, in, in personal identity. Well this is, this is fascinating I can't wait until your book is available because you know you work with politicians you work with media uh, stars, you work with you know people who you know you know are in front of the camera and and those who want to be and I, I think it's going to you know be absolutely fascinating to be able to explore you know what you offer in the book and I and I, I'm one for one eager to get my hands on it. Let me ask you this: when it comes to actors, for example, in a, in a practical setting, for, you, you know you cast Mash and and in mainstream movies for, for many years, and somebody's going to walk into your office and they have a very brief time to make a, a first impression, both as a, as a human being and as an actor. And we all know that first impressions tend to be lasting impressions. We do know that there is an, an effect that if you change your impression on somebody after you've made your first impression, sometimes you feel more affinity for that person than, than you did in the first case. But um, that's assuming that you've, had the opportunity to change that impression. So, you know, we live with this notion that first impressions are often lasting impressions and you can't undo them and because you, you don't have the opportunity or whatever. Um, so my question is, how does this translate to the actor who comes in and says, hi, 
and that you know what what do they say if you say hi who are you how do how does some, how does one let themselves be seen as, as a person you know in in a brief enough or in an introductory setting that way to 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 make a you know I mean you can't fake a favorable impression but to be authentic. Well, I think that's the key word, authenticity. You know, uh, authenticity is a two-way street. You can sit at home and be authentic with yourself all you want. It really isn't authenticity until it's out being bounced back by some other person. And when you're in, for example, the actor situation, which is very brief, and even now the writer's pitch situation, which is uh, fairly brief, and you've got to cover both who you are and the story, um, in those moments, I think, uh, what I work on with people are two things. First of all, uh, going right past the factual stuff, um, skipping that or giving very brief time to that factual stuff, who sent me, where I'm from, you know, the kinds of things that are factually established, and getting right down to some statements of, of feeling. And what I help people do, and you and I have talked before about sort of this inside and outside impression. We all have an inside feeling of ourselves, and we're all aware that how we're seen from the outside sometimes differs from that a little bit. So once you kind of get those two things coordinated and you're able to say in brief things that capture both your own attitude about yourselves and uh, perception that others may have, uh, and you could put that into to brief, by beginning one of those interview uh, situations with exercising two things. First, your, your general good judgment and perception about what kind of a situation is it, how open are they, what do they want to know, how rushed are they, how much time uh, do they have to actually relax. And once you take in that sort of assessment of the setting, then to simply say something that is appropriate to that judgment that captures uh, yourself by saying, well, you know how I am, and then some statement that doesn't explain how you are but just simply describes it. Um, because very often the, the person you're sitting with is having that same sensation about you because it's you that walked in the room. So uh, if you are to say to somebody who may have picked up that you're kind of the in a hurry, frazzled type, and you say, well, you know how I am. I'm always in a rush, never quite can park the car. Um, somebody else is going to go, I notice that, whether they either say it or they acknowledge it mentally. And that moment, you know, that I kind of refer to as the charismatic moment, the moment that you have acknowledged the feeling that someone else is having, um, that moment of, of being personal, even though it's only a statement, can create a sense of, oh, you're willing for me to know you. You're willing to say something that I kind of already felt. You may use different words than I would use, but you've acknowledged the feeling I'm having. Somehow then, in a short statement, you can engage that kind of sense of uh, awareness and agreement. And when we do that with another human being, when we say, oh, the thing you're observing is accurate, um, I'm comfortable with talking about that, thing that you've just observed, then all of a sudden in 10 seconds, we've created the kind of aura of knowing someone that we might create in a much longer conversation that delved into more personal history. 
and when we're not given that chance for a longer conversation, to be able to say something descriptive about ourselves that captures a reality the other person is probably feeling um, is sort of a shorthanded version of a longer getting to know you conversation. And on the one hand, it's unfortunate that we are sometimes given two minutes to let somebody get to know us, but it is also often the reality, especially for actors who are part of a day when several people are going to come in and read the same script, but several people cannot come in and do the two minutes about yourself that you are capable of doing because you are you. So that ability to capture that two-way street of authenticity um, by a descriptive comment that captures an agreement that's in the room, that is, I think, the most successful uh, shorthand way to establish a, um, an openness, uh, a willingness to be present in the room and let other people experience you. Um, so, you know, I work with people on recognizing what is that outside perception, how is it tempered by my inside perception, and then how do I wrap that up in a phrase that describes some aspect of me, enough that I can say, you're welcome here. I'm willing to be personal with you, not private, but personal. And um, I think that that's a, an ability that one can hone uh, that allows them to take advantage of these really short glimpses that uh, schedules allow us to have of another human being. That's absolutely fascinating. And and if I may ask, um, to further up, if if say I walk into a room and uh, and someone says that's okay, relax, you, see, you know, or you seem a little nervous or anything like that, it's far better. I don't know if there's a better if better is the right word, but it, it would be far more authentic if I if I acknowledge, yeah, I'm I'm nervous or or whatever, than to to, to try and mask and go, ah, no big deal. Uh, well, yeah, I think so. You know, and I think if you can find some engaging way, you know, I was struck. I don't know if you happen to watch the uh, White House Correspondents Dinner. A couple I, weeks I ago. didn't see it. No, I didn't see um, it. The president, you know, always gives a little thing, and um, at one point he said. Um, uh, I can't quite remember how he went into it, but he said, uh, you might pick this up on BuzzFeed. Um, I hear that's the new thing. Uh, all I remember about BuzzFeed is uh, during college, it was something that would happen to me after hanging out with my friends about 2 a.m. Uh-huh. And somehow he managed to say, in a, I just made it about two sentences longer than he did. It was much better written than I just repeated it, but he managed to say, I'm hip to BuzzFeed, I know what it is, I was a teenager once, I probably was getting loaded with my friends, just like the rest of you, and uh, I have now established a kind of familiarity uh, that you may or may not approve of, but I'm willing to be personal with you, and he managed to do that in a sentence and say a lot of things, that he was hip to BuzzFeed, that he'd been a teenager, that he was willing to acknowledge that all of that stuff in just a sentence or two. And that sort of, of descriptive statement of being willing to put something out that probably everybody has figured out anyway, 
and you put it out like your example of being nervous, and to have some way to say that, you know, that's maybe a little more fun than I'm nervous, although that's pretty good too, but, you know, to be able to walk in and say, gee, one of the most important moments in my life, I'm a little shaken, you know, or, or anything that you could say that allows people to know that you're okay with the thing they're probably already observing. It's that acknowledgement that you probably already know this, but let me put it into words. That's what authenticity is made of. It's made of the acknowledgement of a reality. And when those go unacknowledged, when somebody sits there and go, oh, wow, dude is nervous, then the room is about does this guy know that it's reading that he's nervous. On the other hand, if a person goes, hey, big moment, a little shaken, good, that's out of the way. We know that you know. Now we can move on to the business at hand. The whole interview is not about does the dude know he's nervous. Um, so that gesture of being able to acknowledge what other people are likely perceiving and doing it in some way that is, you know, a little lighthearted, a little descriptive, I think is the most efficient way to accomplish the greatest thing in the shortest amount of time. Clearly, the world would be better if everybody sat down and had long conversations with everybody else, and we all got to really know each other. But that, unfortunately, is not how we've constructed the world in general, and especially technologically, we've now turned it up to if you get 144 characters, you're lucky. You know, that's, that's what you get in the world. So um, uh, the ability to put things into concise and feeling uh, descriptions, I think, is, is pretty crucial to allowing for authenticity to happen as quickly as it sometimes needs to. Well, I, I have a follow-up question to this, and it, it, you know, we, you, you just mentioned we've got, we've constructed this world now where, I mean, it's smaller sound bites, it's, it's a smaller uh, bits of information, you know, to, to manage an impression, I guess, uh, you know, t with Twitter. In, in, in your heyday as a casting director in you know at at the studio you would have people walk in and they would and they would you know either go sometimes they come in for meetings sometimes they come in for a reading sometimes they've got callbacks but there's personal contact now in our world we have more and more that's being you can handle it by Skype but for example I went in the other day an agent called me in I should say a casting agent they don't in the Midwest they don't actually have cast they, there are some casting directors but agents also cast but. Um, anyway, somebody called me in for an interview for a television series shooting on the East Coast kind of thing. And I, I went in, and of course you slate, and then they record you, and it's shipped off. And uh, you either hear back or you don't. But there's nothing. I mean, there's no contact for anything other than, you know, you made an impression on the film or the video, or you didn't. Um, so that moment is that slate moment, and then all they really want you to do is say your name and who, you know your agent and who you're there. So the ability to connect with the people who are watching your performance is less. So you either look. I mean, I'm 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 conjecturing. You tell me, but uh, you either look the part. You either you either suffice, you know, in performance or not. Or, you know, as I think we've discussed before, sometimes you do something and you're not called back, not because you were bad or not because of anything else, but because you just weren't appropriate for this particular thing. And 
I, I think you and I have had this discussion, and I have with other people who go, your job maybe not to get that job that you came in for, but to make an impression in such a way that they remember you and call you back at other times. But we have less opportunity. I mean, for me, it seems like we have less opportunity, less ability to even begin to do that. Well, you know, I I, I can't make uh, any argument to uh, oppose that idea that uh, the time gets shorter and shorter and shorter that we have to um, to introduce ourselves, to put ourselves across. Um, because, you know, I've been the last several years taking the work that I do here in L.A. on the road. Um, I'm more familiar with the uh, the local markets. Uh, you spoke uh, about in the Midwest, very often agents are doing the casting, and, and that's true, for example, in Atlanta where I teach. Um, there are a couple of, of casting people, but mostly it is a side product of, of the agents in town. Right. And um, a whole lot of this stuff is not only not done uh, on camera uh, or not done in person, but isn't even done on camera in the casting offices or the agents' offices. A certain amount of it is, but a great deal now is done with little independent filmers that do this for actors in their homes or actors do it for themselves in their homes. They uh, email their facts to scene and then they just set up their camera against a background in their garage and shoot themselves uh, reading the scene as, as they would. And, you know, it's such an unfortunate casting situation because they're not receiving any feedback or any guidance. They're just doing the scene as they've, as they've read it. Uh, a pretty tough way to audition, but it is uh, the name of the game more and more uh, in, in those markets. And I just urge those people always to, if there's only, you know, eight words that you can put in at the beginning as part of your name and introduction that are descriptive, that can say something about the kind of man or woman that you are, that doesn't explain, you know, I'm really a dedicated artist. I think they uh, assume and hope that. But to say something personal about the kind of person you are, the way you react to things, uh, a behavioral uh, sort of uh, thing, you know, uh, like occasionally I'll describe myself as being uh, uh, all about the details, but I might miss the big concept just because, I, you know, it's useful for people to know that I may dive into details and miss the big picture. And I say that about myself with a grin, and everybody kind of looks at me like, well, I noticed that. And it's four or five words, but it allows me to say something that I know is true about myself that I think that they recognize. So I urge people to, uh, in the beginning, when they say their name and their agent, they do that slate, to make a little six or eight word descriptive statement, just a description of some aspect of themselves. And sometimes people will say, but then I'm just, you know, really describing one aspect of myself. And my response is, well, it's one aspect ahead of where you were before. You know, at least you are personal, and the gesture says, I am willing to be personal. Of course I can't be thorough and touch on every nuance of myself, but the fact that I said something descriptive about myself that felt true to the person receiving the description says, I'm willing to be personal with you. I realize we only have 30 seconds here, but I'm willing. And I think that aura that is created of the willingness to be authentic is, first of all, important, and secondly, all we get time for. 
and uh, the ability to do that at the beginning of uh, of an interview, especially one of those taped auditions, I think is crucial. I, I think that's absolutely brilliant. And I, what I and what I particularly also like that you said is that some people say, well, that's just you know one part of myself, and and your uh, comment that well, better to have one part than no part uh, is is you know a lot of us get stopped thinking we have to you know have the whole enchilada but but maybe better just having a bite of it than nothing you know yeah, would be... it really is the sensation that it creates i mean yeah it's only a, a small portion of what we have to offer but it creates the sense that we're willing to bring all of that given the time we'll happily give you the whole enchilada all you're giving me time for is a bite but the fact that i gave you that says i'm willing to be personal here as opposed to just do my job and do the audition because I think what actors tend to lose track of is that while this audition is very important to them, it may be the only one they're doing that day or that week, it is one of many that the casting person or director is going to see for that role that day. So our thing, the actor's thing, is I want to capture everything about myself. This is my big opportunity. The other side of it is, okay, give it to me quick, show me what you got, let me know that you're real, and move on, because I've got to see ten more of you today. And so I think the actor's understanding that I have a very brief time to get myself across here, and I want to do that efficiently, I want to show that my work is solid, uh, I'll let my reading do that, and I want a second or two to be personal to show this uh, collaborator, potentially, this director or casting person, that I am available both in my work and personally. Uh, I'm, I'm a whole person. I, I bring a craftsman as well as a human being to the roles that I do, and we only got a minute and a half to do that. So whatever little um, moment we grab create that willingness, uh, of course it's inadequate to the entire uh, picture of who we are, but it at least creates that sensation that I'm, I'm willing to be available personally to you. You know, I really do love this because it, it gives rise to hope that in, you know, because I think all actors, I speak for myself, you know, but every every audition is the most important one because it's the difference between, you know, paying rent, not paying rent. Whereas, as you say, for a casting director or director or producer who's sitting there, you know, they may see tens, scores of people in a, in a given day and over weeks, hundreds or thousands of people, both on tape or live or, or whatever, and then they've got callbacks and everything else. That that the notion is is that you, I think so many of us concentrate on being you know, a really good actor, and, and there's obviously there's there's no reason not to be. But you hear stories of, for example, directors who meet with actors like, say, David Lynch, and he, you know, not that he doesn't read people, and not that he doesn't track professionals and know what they're capable of doing, but but it says, you know, I want to meet the person to see, you know, if they're the person who is the part, as opposed to having them read for the part, and then he may read them afterwards. But but the idea of actually you know, getting present, actually meeting somebody, actually connecting, actually taking, even if it's brief seconds, to be a standout. Uh, you know, I mean, I know actors who would say, well, you know, for the role, you know, I'm going to jump up on their desk and I'm going to do these things and I'm going to create all this havoc. And, well, they will stand out, but, 
you you have you have have put such great thought into how do I, in the very 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 tiny bit of time that I have, make the most positive optimal impression, and how do I be you know truly me, and so that other people get a glimpse of that, and then on top of it, I get to read, and so whether or not I'm I'm right for the part, at least I've you know I've connected I, or I've been willing to connect with other people, which. I think it's just so incredibly crucial. Yeah, and you know, I think um, a lot of times. I mean, I think we've shared this before when when we've talked. In my uh, experience, especially in the days when I was actively casting, um, when the feature films that I did, very often, uh, I would say most of the time, the directors did not want to read. They'd assumed that uh, I had read the actor and that they were craft adequate, that they could do the job. They wanted to know the difference uh, between one person and another, and that was going to be the personal information, the personal availability, the authenticity. Because if you sit you know, and think of it from their side, they're seeing the same scene, even though different interpretations, they're seeing the same scene from six, eight, ten people. So that is the same experience repeating what will be different in each experience is the particulars of the human being that give them the reading. So that ability to establish a little of that, here's who I am, now here's how I, my craftsmanship would work with these words, to be able to establish both of those, and especially in these really brief times that we're given that may even be on camera and non-personal, um, it's important. And because that's the one thing we can vary in their experience of readings for this role. The only thing we can really change is which human being is reading right now. And um, I think that's the thing that actors neglect when they're trying to prove how good they are. They're relying on uh, their interpretation of the writing, which I think is ex the expected part, and they're neglecting the unexpected part, which is they're a unique human being walking in to do that reading. And it's the part I think that, that people most neglect in, in acting. I think we neglect it in dating and in yeah. business interviews and everywhere because uh, no matter what we're doing, there are other people who do what we do, whether we're a lawyer or we're out on a date or what. There are other human beings capable of being a date or being a lawyer only we are capable of the way we are a lawyer or the way we are the date. So um, that's the piece, I think, that is the unexpected and needs to be paid attention to. I just think that's absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's kind of like you're either unique or you're a commodity. <laughs> exactly. You know, you're just another person running for Congress or you're an individual who happens to be running for Congress. And, you know, ultimately, we, we, we vote for, we select, we date the human being, not just any, if we're dating, you know, we could date any person. But who do we pick to see again is based on who they are, not just the fact that they're, you know, a member of the appropriate gender that we date. That, that, right. There's a lot of that. They're just which particular member of that gender becomes the issue. So um, it's uh, – and I think the reason we neglect it is not because um, there's anything wrong with any of us. I just think it is safer 
could just simply be, I'm a lawyer, I'm a good actor, I'm an accountant, you know, to be identified by the thing we do rather than the particular style uh, and individual way we do it. That's a little less uh, disapproval of that is a little more uh, uh, fearsome. And so people uh, neglect uh, being personal when it's actually the thing that makes the difference. And and let me ask you, in relationship to peacocking, I mean, in other words, I think some people think I'm unique if I have a, a certain fashion sense or a lack of fashion sense or a hairstyle or, you know, I, I now get gauge earrings. You know, it, 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 we're not talking about what we put on. We're talking about revealing who we are. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I think that is an easy mistake to make. Well, I'll wear something bright or, you know, I'll wear a shorter skirt or, you know, whatever it may be that attracts attention. Um, And, you know, I'm not – those are part of the choices that people make as well. But I think the thing that is easier and doesn't require any shopping is um, (laughs) using aspects of what nature gave you and just bringing those descriptively into the room so people can notice that you know that they know and an element of you is now you know present in the room and as the focal point i think that is much more um uh individual because the truth is anybody can get a weird haircut and anybody can wear a shorter skirt um the issue really uh is the thing that no one can duplicate is our individual identity. Only we are the person that each of us is, and that's, you know, both the miracle and curse of nature. But in this case, I think it's the miracle that um, we all are unique individuals. And the ways that we allow people to understand that we get what they get and that we're fine with it, that's what authenticity is. Authenticity is the permission for someone else to observe and participate with some aspects of us um, to say, oh, here's who I am. Go ahead, recognize that, and that's who I'm going to be. That's the two-way street that that makes authenticity work functionally. And um, uh, without that, uh, anybody can duplicate what we do. Other people have skills. Other people have blonde hair. Other people are tall or short but nobody has the full-on personal combination of identity that we do. No one, even our sisters and brothers, who may have grown up with the same parents and in the same household, are not like us. Uh, We're each unique. And our ability to bring that into the room in a sentence or two, because that may be all the time we have, uh, is uh, a real asset. Uh, That's awesome. I'm going to have to take a break in a short moment, but I I wanted to... um follow up with the the idea that you know we we expect actors to be authentic i think in performance we want them to be able to you know either on a stage or in front of camera you know feel you know raw emotion or somehow recapitulate that raw emotion so that you know if the camera doesn't lie it looks real because it is real and and you know we expect our performances to be riveting in that way and our, and our great actors to somehow be in touch with this aspect that they can bring at that moment. But what I, again, what I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I really appreciate about what you're saying is if if that's the case for an actor to be able to do that 
and these are my words, but but if 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 an actor is supposed to be able to do that on stage or on camera on cue, then it would be of maximum benefit to be able to do it in the shortest and briefest amount of time in personal meetings when it's critical for getting a job. I mean, in other words, yeah. be who you are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the authenticity we hope somebody translates into a performance, I think we have to see from them genuinely in the character of themselves in order to really understand they're going to bring it to the characters that are written. Well, I, my guess is is that most people think, you know, we've heard this so much before, and, and maybe we hear it now more than ever, you know, when we raise children and say, like, you know, you're unique, you're special, you're different from everybody else, you know, and, and that it be, that people don't understand what it means to be unique. They don't, they, we don't appreciate that about ourselves. Uh, I think when you said, you know, you're a lawyer, and there are tons of people who are lawyers, but nobody can do lawyering the way you do lawyer, lawyering. Um, it helps us more better realize that. I mean, say, you know, say nobody can act the way you act, you know, either as an actor or as, or as a human being. But to really get that, to, to really embrace that, and go, you know, I am unique. It doesn't make me better or worse than anybody else, but it makes me this one of a kind. How do I let other people know who I am? Well, the, you know, the thing we unfortunately take for granted is, well, my uniqueness shows, so I'll let it take care of itself. Ah, good point. Instead, it's yeah. this active gesture of saying of saying it so that other people can go, oh, the person is willing to bring it in the room. They're willing, so it isn't just my observation of them. They've said, I notice that you notice that I am XYZ, and now XYZ is playable in the room. It's useful. I've just been authentic. And we just don't understand that that gesture of us actually bringing it into the room is where the the authenticity of our uniqueness is actually brought into practice and isn't just assumed to take care of itself. You know what occurs to me about this, too, is it demonstrates that uh, your head isn't up the rectal canal all the time, that you actually have eyes and ears open to the world and you're observing and validating the people in the room by commenting on even an unspoken observation that may be there. It's kind of like the elephant's in the room, and if you avoid it, uh, it's kind of spooky. But now you're actually validating, hey, wait, all these people have seen the elephant, you know, and... Well, and we do it all the time with things that we consider less risky than our identity. Like we'll walk in and go, how about that rain today? And we do that because everybody drove there in the rain, and they all experienced right. it, and it brings everybody into the same page. Or we'll do it a uh, current event. Terrible things in Boston this week, huh? And everybody goes, oh, yeah, and they all give their personal take on that. What we don't use that also everybody's experiencing is our identity because that's riskier than the rain, uh, and yet it is as much in everybody's experience in the room as the rain is. So when we make that gesture, when we do that same thing that we would do about the weather or about a current event, and yet it's about our identity, we say the thing that everybody is experiencing, we've suddenly created that same kind of unity in the room, only it's built around our identity. And that is such a brave gesture that not only does it create that same kind of unanimity in the room as mentioning the weather, but it's around us, and now it's our bravery, um, our charisma, that has caused the room to unite, and that is what causes 
memory of of a person past the five minutes they're in the room. Oh, that is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Let me take a, a, a quick break, and we'll come back. And I want to turn the attention, if we can, to the screenwriting, to the storytelling, to the process of, of writers and actors that, you know, in your work about uncovering what's important in scene and in storytelling. So uh, if, if you'll stay with me on that one, Sam, we'll be right back after this break. I'll be here. Awesome. Cool. You're listening to Rex Ike's Movie Beat. It's at rexsikes.com is the website. Uh, all of the interviews are archived right there at the interviews blog. Please do share these interviews. Share this one with Sam, with uh, all of your friends and your colleagues, both near and far. And please do leave comments, whether you listen to the show live or archived, at the player. Sometimes you have to wait for the player to close down before you can see the comment window, but it's right there. I can see it right now under the chat room. Chat room, of course, is only open during live shows. My next guest coming up is Randy Miller. He's a composer, arranger, and musician. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Yellow Rock, a movie that he recently scored and also conducted the music for uh, and made the arrangement and did everything. Uh, so we're going to talk to him on Thursday, May 9th. And uh, so join us then. Uh, he's got some news that he's going to announce, and uh, I'm looking forward to to that, we've got Peter Marshall returning on the 29th. We've got people in between, but we've got Peter Marshall coming back for the director's series on the 29th. We've got Jim McCarns, who's a CBS television executive. Um, he's a producer and an author, and he'll be coming back and talking about 101 ways to break into the television uh, industry. And, uh, of course, returning, we've got uh, Todd Robinson, uh, Julian Adams and Penn Benjamin. I, I mentioned these three in, in concert because together Todd directed and Julian and, and Penn produced uh, the recent movie with Ed Harris, William Fitchner, and uh, David Co Duchovny, Phantom. And uh, But they're on three separate days in June, and uh, they're all great guys. You're going to want to hear from all of them. We've got Doug Richardson, who wrote uh, Money Train and Bad Boys and Die Hard 2, uh, coming back to talk about screenwriting, and we've got so many more. So join us. And uh, do leave comments and do uh, share the interviews. And uh, we're back with Sam Christensen. His website is S-A-M-C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-E-N.com. That's samchristensen.com. And, um, and we're back with you, Sam. Great. Uh, exciting roster of people you got coming up. Yeah, and there's more that I haven't mentioned, and it's it's a, I I really uh, I I feel so blessed and and so fortunate to have friends and colleagues who will, like yourself who who share your expertise with others, um, uh, behind the scenes and as well as actors, uh, you know, who come up and and uh, assist people in uh, moving forward with their careers or their projects. Oh, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, I'm having. I was telling Sam before the show. I've got a new browser. I've got a new uh, tweet deck thing. I've got everything. Everything is is kind of screwy here mechanically. So I'm going back and forth between these weird windows on my on the computers and uh, trying to find things. So uh, bear with me. I'm I'm stammering and stuttering trying to find my way around here. Um, so Sam, um, uh, we were talking. You know, earlier about uh, what you call story core can you can you talk to us about um, what's critical for actors and and storytellers and writers when it comes to uh, not only performing a scene in a, in, a, in an audition but writing a scene in in a screenplay what 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 well, is important yeah you know 
the thing you and I were chatting a little uh, before uh, when we saw each other and earlier today about this idea that this is the thing that I, that I keep noticing is somehow um, lacking or, or neglected. And I think that it, it has to do with a, a kind of emphasis that entertainment has had on the spectacle and the, and the big effect in the last uh, several decades. What has happened is that artists, and I'll give you specifically examples of, of actors first, um, are aware of plot detail, of the kinds of, of character and effect spectacle that happens, but unaware of the human drive uh, inside a screenplay or a scene. And let me give you a, the example I kind of always share with, with students, which is if you know, I ask you what Gone with the Wind is about, people will say, oh, it's about the Civil War, it's about the end of slavery, it's about uh, reconstruction in the South, it's about life on a plantation, it's about a willful girl, uh, you know, it's about the relationship between slaves and masters on the plantations, it's about the end of the South as a empire, you know, all these things, which it's about, it, all those things are plot points and functional pieces of the story, but what Gone with the Wind is about for anybody who reads it or sees it, whether you've lived in the South, whether you know anything about the Civil War, whether you know anything about any of that, the thing that it's about is that no matter what, everything will change. Uh, as much as we'd love things to stay the way they are, they are going to change. In that case, it's even in the title, Gone with the Wind. You know, the moment you look around, it's gone. That's the thing that every human being experiences in life, that things are going to change no matter how much you'd like them not to. They will change. That is a human experience that everyone has, whether they've been in the South, whether they're familiar with Civil War history, whether they know the great crisis of, of slavery in this country, whether they know any of that, they do know that life is going to shift and change whether you want it to or not. That's the story core. So when an actor will bring in a scene that they're doing from something, and I will say, what is it about? And they say, well, you know, it's about this girl who lives in Ohio, and, you know, she's got a disease, and I'll go, no, 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 what is it about? And they'll say, well, you know, she tells her husband, but he doesn't know what to do about it, and he's got an alcohol problem. I go, no, 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 what is it about? And then finally, we'll get down to the fact that it's about sometimes you, there's nobody to turn to. Oh, then I can say to the actor, have you ever had a situation in your own life where there was no one to turn to? And they will go, oh, yeah, you know, when I was in high school and my mom and dad got a divorce, all of a sudden they will get in to their personal moment of, of that human story of having no one to turn to at some point in your life. Oh, so now can you go find a character? Because previously they hadn't had a serious disease, they didn't live in Ohio, they didn't have a husband, you know, who, didn't, who neglected them. None of the story items did they know about, and they were trying to play the character, but they did know the core issue in the story, which was sometimes there's nobody to turn to. 
Oh, yes, I know about that. Well, that, I think, is the thing that people do. We have lost the skill to look for that. Now, and I think it's just because we've got so much availability to us in terms of effects and budgets and locations and uh, cameras and all of these things that can make movies technically and, and more exciting that core that held the great movies together in the 30s, which is they didn't have all that stuff. What they had was a human story to play out. And they made great movies and created great stars playing human stories out on, on very simple core levels so that anybody could watch Now Voyager and say, oh, here's what happens, this is the story. Um, those, that ability has been atrophied, uh, and people can tell you everything else that's going on in a particular motion picture or screenplay or play, but they can't tell you the essential human idea that caused it to be written. It doesn't. All that other stuff is only the setting that the author chose to tell a core human story. And if you can't identify that core human story, you can't get to your own level of experience to interpret it. And once actors begin to understand that and to look beyond circumstance and at the thing that every human being who hears this is going to share, when they can get down on that level, their ability to get to really personal performance just magnifies by a thousand percent um, because before that they're trapped in all this detail that they may or may not have experience with um, but when you get down to that core thing that any human being knows about if they're a human being then there's an ability to plug right in wow no that that's uh, very very important and do you have um a suggestion or a tip for how an actor because well, you know i mean you know, it's one thing if I get a play or a screenplay as an actor, you know, you read the whole thing and you start to think about, you know, is there a theme or is there something? But it's another thing when you got two pages, you know, or maybe two scenes that are two or three pages from, you know, a TV drama or something like that. Or I say that almost pejoratively and I don't mean it that way because especially <laughs> what we talked about before with television being much better today. Um uh, you, you don't you don't get a whole lot of information, but you do have you know a snippet of something. Do you have a, a tip or suggestion or advice for somebody in terms of how they can, in this limited situation, try and get a notion of what the scene is about, what the core story core is to that particular scene? Well, uh, assuming you know, that it's there, assuming that it's it's, it's well written, I guess to begin yeah, with. Yeah, because there are certainly some scenes, especially you know when you when you mention television. There is a lot of the um, a lot of, of of television where certain scenes are just functional. They're just a matter of getting a couple of story points out so you can get from point A to point B in a in a story and do it within you know the 41 minutes or whatever you have in an hour to do it. Right. Um, but I think for the most part, most scenes, even in the most kind of obvious procedural TV drama, um, most scenes, the same as the entire teleplay, a scene will have a core value in it. 
And um, what I ask actors to do is to say, if you had to tell somebody what this was about in four or five words and you could not include any of the circumstances, the setting, the clothing, the gun, the, you know, any of the circumstances, you just had to say in four or five words what's going on between the human beings here or which if it's about one human being and the other person is just feeding them lines, what's going on for that human being? Can you bring that down to a set of words that capture an experience that every human being has? So, you know, suppose it's a procedural drama and, you know, you're playing cop number two uh, who's come to the house after the house has been invaded and, uh, you know, you've got a hysterical housewife. You know, that's the plot. What's the story about? Everybody needs comfort. Oh, okay, everybody needs comfort. So now I'm playing the cop whose job it is to make this lady feel a little better. And yes, the lines are about how did you discover this? What time did you come home? You know, whatever the procedural uh, functional lines are. But if that core human thing is everybody needs comfort, then the actor has something to, to play. So what I ask people to do is just to go, okay, you're not allowed to tell me any of the circumstances, nothing about the setting, nothing about the plot. What I want you to tell me is what human idea is captured here by the writer that every human being experiences in a human life. Well, everybody needs comfort. People get abandoned. You can't count on everybody. You know, whatever those things are that translate to any medium, there are Bible stories about these things, there are poems about these things, there are songs about these things, there are TV dramas, TV scenes about what's the human idea that every human being, regardless of experience um, or locale or era, what is the human value that everybody experiences. And once people know that's the thing they're looking for, it's amazing how quickly they hone the skill. We've just been seduced by all the plots and all the details, and I think that's where the uh, excess of TV has damaged us because people see the same plots and same stories over and over, so now they just put it in a different setting with uh, characters that are more extreme. They've got to do something to disguise the same old procedural plot on a lot of television. So they put a lot more detail and a lot more effects in to disguise that, and we've gotten seduced by that so that people do not look beneath to what is it actually about. But once they know to look for that and they have to put some shared human value into a few words, it's amazing how fast they learn to do it. And when they do, then they have a way to identify that isn't dependent on experience with the plot points. Wow, no, that is that is stellar. I really do appreciate that and the way that you described it. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Oh, in, of course. In in that, let's say I have a two-page scene and it's a funeral, and you know everybody's just passing on condolences. How do you go? How how do you find something that does? I mean, maybe maybe to say I'm just supposed to be consoling at this moment, but but how do you play? opposite the obvious that, that 10 out of 10 actors are going to walk in and do? Well, you know, I mean, it obviously it would depend on the scene, but I mean, sure. things that might be going on in that setting that would be human, 
you know, shared human value are things like uh, loss is terrible, um, grief is a lonely process. Uh, there are situations where you don't know what to say. Um, you know, things like that that might be going yeah. on in a funeral scene that are things every human being says, uh, feels. Because, you know, the funeral scene you're talking about might be some kid that was run over and it's a hit and run and, you know, the, the plot is that the person who actually ran over the person is actually a friend of the family and is at the funeral. And, you know, those are all the plot circumstances that make the story interesting. But the two-page scene where you've got to go play a, a, a condolence giver, you may then look and go, what is in this scene? It doesn't have to do with the neighbor actually did it and it was a child and all that. What is the thing that's in this scene? Well, sometimes it's hard to find the right words. Okay, I've been in that situation in my life. I haven't been to this kind of funeral. As a matter of fact, I've never been to a funeral for a child. But I've been in a situation where I didn't know what to say. Okay, it actually happened with my girlfriend last night, but I have been in that situation. Good. Then I can tap into my own feelings. And I, I, so far, I keep saying to people, bring me a scene that is so functional that you can't find a human value deeper than the, than the plot points. And so far, nobody's brought me a scene. And some people have brought me some really kind of lame television scenes. But I can always go now, what's the th and I can get them to, to locate something that is deeper than the plot points and is more fully shared among all human beings. Now, I, I, I love this, and I, and I want to... And I want to point something out. I mean, you were a prominent casting director for many, many years, major television, major movies. Uh, I mean, you're, you're pointing these things out because you've seen actors come and you've seen actors go and you know how they impressed you and what they did and what they didn't do. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is a collection from you. I mean, you know, this is this is your cumulative experience and and. I, I love it because it, it really does, I think, help the listener, the actors out there, the performers, and, and the screenwriters to organize their thinking in terms of what they need to begin to do in terms of homework, and work on themselves both as a person, as a performer, as a, you know, as an actor, writer, whatever. Um, I think this is absolutely, hands down, you know, incredibly valuable and and necessary for for all of us to begin to understand and, and appreciate. Well, Rex, let me, if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to give you a, an example from my experience. And I don't even know that, that Alan Alda would remember saying this, but uh, many years ago when I was casting MASH, and it was a episode that Alan had written and was going to direct, which he did several of each season. And Alan Alda is a, a great actor and a fantastic human being, I should add. Um, and in this particular thing, there were four or five GIs that I had read, you know, for a young GI part, um, and uh, brought him the the four or five that I thought were the considerations for this particular role, and um, he was having the callbacks, which he always had to squeeze in between, you know, his playing of his part, and um, so we would usually do those in his dressing room, and we would rush over with these people while he had a little break, and he could, you know, evaluate. And I will never forget this. This one actor read this thing and did this interpretation that was really 
crafted and interesting, but was just way too much for this. And Alan said to him, do you know what MASH is about? And the kid said, well, of course, it's about the Korean War and a medical unit. And, you know, he went on to explain, you know, the plot setting of the series. And Alan said, no, MASH is about war sucks. And I saw this look come over this kid's face. And I realized that in that moment, he was, we were in the Vietnam War, the end of it at the time. Right. And I realized in that moment, this kid was seeing his brother or a friend or something. He was having some experience of war as he knew it. He didn't know the Korean War, but he knew the one we were in at that point in some way. I just saw something go across his eyes, and he then, sorry, this <laughs> this story gets me emotional just telling it. I, I, wow. I just, he had been simplified, and he just gave a reading that was about that. It was war sucks. And, you know, the fact that Alan based a 10-year character on that, and there was a lot of things he had to do and a lot of humor he had to I mean, Alan was a genius on that show. Wow, right. The essential thing that made MASH operate every day for 10 years was the commitment of a group of people who wanted to say something about war and what, why we should stop it. And that was that. It was as simple as that. War sucks. It's wrong. And that made the difference for that kid. And I think that when you don't get that, when you don't get what something's really about, then you're playing the circumstances. You're playing the plot. Well, the writer already did that, created some scenario to tell the same human story again. They created some, you know, setting for it. If you don't know what that human story is under the setting, you're going to be playing the setting and the plot points. Wow, that was that was uh, an awesome example and, and, and an awesome summary of it. And I think uh, it should be crystal clear in all of our minds as we listen to you regarding it. Um, that that really is, you know, food for thought in, in terms of now how you know actors you know can can apply that to to themselves and their craft. So, very very cool. And 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 the we have literally maybe 8 minutes or so left and but this is true about writers too because some of the writers sometimes write from plot to plot with you know or or they're so busy furthering plot points that they that they may not even know what their own script is about. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're writing to get to the next effect because they know that the producers are going to be looking for what's the splash that are going to make people come to this movie and respond to the preview. Because uh, you've got to think about that. I mean, movies have to have that to compete with other movies. But at the same time, if there isn't some idea holding all of these effects together, then you just have, you know, Oblivion, for example, which is just a lot of, well, actually there is more of a of a story through line to that than most. But, um you know, these movies that are just one giant fantastic effect after another, and then you leave the movie and you go, I will not remember this more than three seconds because it was just all effects. Whereas some movie that, that doesn't even have those, or maybe does, but there's a reason, there's a human idea underneath it, then those are the movies that you remember and where, if it has effects, where they matter. 
Very, very, very cool. Very, very well put. I had a discussion last night on a, on a project in development that we're doing with the director who had written a screenplay and uh, a number of years ago, and 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 now, you know, getting around to producing it. And he said, I, you know, he said I really love the story, and and we we can't make it the way it's written. We need to change it because as written. You know, we would be going up against, you know, Steven Spielberg and all the big effects movies, and there's just no way we're ever going to pull that off. You know, we don't have the money in the world at all. You know, this needs to be, you know, just a really wonderful, you know, kind of, suspense, you know, a horror-like suspense movie, it's, but it's got to just be all about the story, you know, and the characters and what's driving them. And I was so pleased because I was talking to one of the other producers about I didn't think we could pull this off the way it was written, and and you know, it, it, you know, there were other things we could do, but we certainly would never be able to pull that off. And uh, the director called me last night and said, you know, I, I really would rather do this as a as a simple but really well done story, you know, and and when it, when and all these different things about what the movie actually is about versus you know what 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 he had written originally on the surface. And I was like, wow. And then and then to talk to you today. Um, you know, I just, I just, I feel, I feel very lucky about the conversation I had last night. So this is very cool. And I think it's also, you know, when you're in one of those things and you're, there's so many divergent interests. The production designer wants it to look great, and the casting yeah. person wants great actors. Everybody has their individual discipline to work and to defend. But I think sometimes the coalescing factor to bring all those artists together is to go, okay. What is it about? If the costumes are about war sucks, if the sets are about war sucks, if the music is about war sucks, then we have a show that's about war sucks. How do you all contribute to that? What's your discipline's interpretation that fits that? And very often it's the factor that brings everybody back to why are we here? Um, and so I'm glad for you too that that happened. That you know, at some you guys went, what are we really here to do? Right. Um, because it's real easy to get off on all of these tangents. They're fun. They're fantastic, and sometimes they look spectacular. But why are we telling the story uh, is ultimately the only thing that hangs it together. Well, I also think that I mean, it, it, you're, it's amazing that what what you're doing is you're simplifying. In in that you're you're like a laser to go. What is it about? So you're finding kind of a pinpoint. You know, this is what it's about. But that is the umbrella under which everything else now falls into place. Yeah, so, and I think the ruling factor is we have to ask ourselves the question: Would every human being, regardless of experience, would every human being on Earth get this idea? Sometimes I don't know what to say. Everybody gets that, regardless of how they've experienced that. When you can bring it down, that's the question to always ask yourself is, is the explanation that I'm about to give understandable to any human being, regardless of what movies they've seen, where they've lived, the social structure they're a part of, does every human being get this? Okay, then, I've, then I'm down to it. It's really cool because I, I, uh, it makes – for me, I mean, I, I, it makes everything else fall in place. You know, it, you know, you you can then write everything around that. I, I mean, I guess there's just so much that is you know, the stories are weakened by not having a clear definition of what they're about. And uh, I, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, because all that other stuff is so seductive. You know, all that other stuff is fun uh, to do, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and that's why you see these movies that are essentially masturbatory. You just go, see, there are a lot of designers and a lot of people having a good time here, but I don't know why I sat here for two hours. Um, and I think, unfortunately, because of video games and a lot of other things, we've kind of trained an, uh, an audience not even to care uh, about that, except that when they actually see a movie that has it, they you see what happens at the box office. They go, because on some level, they do get it. They love all the pyrotechnics, especially kids will watch you know, as many effects as you give them. But the movies that score and are, are remembered are the ones that may or may not have those effects, but right. they're a core there that everybody got. Oh, that's excellent, Sam. It truly is. You know, we're almost literally out of time, and I, I want to give you just a, a couple extra moments to to have the final word. But I have appreciated this so much. Your web address is, is samchristensen.com. It is spelled S-A-M-C-H-R-I-S-T-E-S. Did I tell it right? Christensen? E-S-E-N? Yeah. Two E's at the end. Yeah. Christensen. And... And, uh, you know, just valuable, valuable information. And uh, I'm so glad that uh, we had this time together. Uh, but I, I want to give you just a couple minutes to, 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 to say whatever you'd like to say in, in closing. Well, yeah, you know, I always have uh, an exciting time. It's always fun to talk to, and I enjoy it a lot. And the thing I'd like to, to say that I, you know, am, am pushing a little in my book and Ultimately, it is up to the storytellers. Um, all the things that change in the world change because people uh, read a story, saw a story, went to a movie, saw it on TV. You know, all the political junk that goes on, which is how things sometimes functionally happen. But the real changes that forward our culture happen because artists tell stories. And I know that the people that listen to your show are writers and directors and actors and people who love movies as audience members as well. And I just want to encourage everybody to keep going, to do what it takes to express yourself as an artist or a designer or a director or a writer or an actor, um, and also as an audience member to demand the kind of, of art that that makes a difference because ultimately – the, the things that change in our world, the things that grow, the way that we become a better and better society are dependent on the stories that we tell and that artists keep telling them. And so, you know, if I have a, a, a final word, it's just to encourage all the, the people that are in this with us to, um, to push through whatever you have to because... Uh, our, our our human culture is dependent on the storyteller. Well, that is fantastic. That really is a, a fabulous and a fabulous closing note for this episode of our visits together. And uh, in in the future, of course, we'd love to, we definitely want to have you back. And and uh, and you and I will be in touch. And uh, I want to know when the book is coming out, and so we can give information to the listeners about that too. Um, but for now, we'll say goodbye. And uh, and then and then talk more in the uh, in near future. Right. This has I'll been a valuable. 
But I just can say this is a valuable series of discussions. I think this is the sixth one that we've had so far, and that all the listeners need to go back and listen to all of them and 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 really uh, imbibe and uh, appreciate and and get to know what Sam has been saying because they're I, I do I think they're critical for today's entertainer and storyteller and and filmmaker. So thank you so much. Thanks, Rex. I had a great time. All right. I'll talk to you shortly and uh, and have a fabulous day. Thank you. Bye bye. Again, Mr. Sam Christensen at samchristensen.com. And uh, be sure to uh, go check out the website there. Go to rexsykes.com as well, my website and the interviews blog, and read about Sam and uh, his career as a casting director um, and, and everything else that he's done. And, uh, and get to know him and listen to those other interviews as well. Uh, you can uh, become a member of Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends at Facebook. It's a great way to find out what's coming up for the show. My website, like Sam's, is under construction. His is going to be uh, debuting um, or reemerging, I believe, quicker than mine will. But uh, sometime soon we'll have the new Rex Sykes Movie Beat website up and operational. Uh, in the meantime, use uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat at, at uh, Friends at Twitter. Uh, go there and uh, like our page and uh, and join us there and find out. Uh, Twitter, you can, I said Facebook. Twitter is uh, Rex Sykes Movie BT. You can follow me at uh, Twitter, Rex Sykes Movie BT. And uh, you can see some interviews up on uh, on uh, YouTube at Rex Sykes Movie Beat, uh, the YouTube channel. So uh, there's uh, multiple ways to find out about what's going on and see and to uh, take advantage of all the free, valuable information provided by my professional guests because Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you. That's why I connect you up with people who are making it happen and people who are professionals and uh, and have experiences that they are ready, willing, and able to share with you, insights, secrets, tips, suggestions, what to do and what not to do. All we ask in return is that you share the interviews with your friends and your colleagues near and far and that you rate and review the podcast if you choose to subscribe to the podcast or download them one by one uh, or when you listen live or archive to the show at Blog Talk Radio, please leave comments before you go away. If you're in the chat room right now, leave a comment uh, at the at the comment window there at Blog Talk Radio. I appreciate everybody tuning in and listening uh, live and archived. I've got fabulous listeners and fabulous uh, supporters all around the world, people who tweet and retweet and promote and share, uh, get on Facebook and Google Plus and the email and phone. And, and uh, it truly is wonderful. I, I'm so happy when I get to meet you in person or you Facebook me or you email me, uh, sometimes with questions, sometimes with suggestions. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for all the love and the outpouring. It is truly um, uh, a wonderful thing to be connected with you in that way. I wish I could say thanks personally to everybody. I want to thank my fascinating guest, Sam Christensen, again, and, and you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. Again, keep in mind i got many exciting guests coming up in the near future. The next one, May 9th, is this Thursday. Randy Miller, he's a composer, musician, arranger, conductor, uh, recently um, did the movie score for Yellow Rock, and you can find out more about Yellow Rock Movie, YellowRockMovie.com is the website. Uh, he's going to be up Thursday, and you're going to want to listen to him. He's got an announcement he wants to make, and uh, it'll be a fascinating time. Many other guests in the queue, so be sure to uh, stay tuned and uh, tell all your friends and your contacts. All right, everybody, have a fabulous day. Thanks for letting us be with you today. Thanks. Have a fabulous day. Make your projects and complete them. And until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>